All right. Awesome. Welcome back to the Trellis Podcast. This is episode six. I'm here with my internet friend, Andrew. He is on Instagram at Andrew underscore the underscore Arborist. <laughs> Those underscores will get you sometimes, I swear, on Instagram. It's a little I ridiculous, know. but it's a good when time. People, when people ask in person what my uh, handle is, I have to say the underscores, and that's yeah, yeah. the worst part. <laughs> like So instead of a space, or if it was just one word, just throw in a bunch of extra lines. It's a really good time. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So I actually found you, of course, on Instagram. Um, I saw your video of the American sycamore tree that you were in the process of removing um, the ivy from. Mm -hmm. And I like DM'd you after that. And I asked you like, what are we doing about this? Like, we know this is invasive in like the East Coast or like the East of the United States. But like, like you say in your, um, in your post, like, people just sell them and they put their responsibility instead of on like the stores to not distribute them, they put them on the consumer, which is kind of a tough thing, but it creates an opportunity for people like you and people like me to educate people. Mm -hmm. um, you educate people through your Instagram. You have an incredible Instagram following. It is so wonderful. You educate Thank people you. so well, and then you also have your nonprofit as well. Um, but if you would like to start off and tell us kind of the story, how did you end up here? How did you become Andrew the Arborist on Instagram? Sure. <laughs> Yeah, well, first, I, I guess I wanted to touch on the ivy. Um, yes. Do you guys have that down? You're in, in Florida, right? In Tampa? Yeah. Area? Yep. So they sell it down here in stores. Um, I actually haven't seen it like out. Like we go hiking and stuff, and I really don't see it too much. And I'm not sure if it's invasive down here, but it would definitely do well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a popular seller up here still. But I think, um, I think like the younger generation, like our generation and younger are like starting to catch on and plant native. And, mm -hmm. but yeah, I still go to my local Lowe's and Home Depot and it's like 95% just like non-native plants that make no sense. But um, anyway, yeah, I can talk a little bit about, um, I guess, how I started. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was always interested in environmental issues um, ever since I, I learned uh, from my middle school science teacher uh, he was the first to teach about climate change um, and ever since i learned about that in sixth grade i was interested in how humans um, are changing or are hurting the planet and all the different things that we're doing messing things up and stuff so i've always been interested in how we can make small changes to better um to to help the planet to reverse the damages the damage that we've done and and things like that so I, I ended up majoring in environmental science in college. Awesome. And then, um, but at, during that time, I did some research with like molecular biology and like genetics and stuff in a lab. And for some reason, I, I decided to go down that route for grad mm -hmm. school. So I applied for a PhD program and I got in for um, a biology like more genetics and population genetics and evolution, which I was interested in, but not like it wasn't my passion, I guess. I, I mm -hmm. think it was a wrong decision ultimately. But mm -hmm. um, quickly into grad school, I realized that it wasn't the right path for me. And I found myself wanting to be outside and um, wanting to get back to my environmental passions. And around that time was also when I started volunteering um, with environmental conservation organizations like in Philly. Um, <clears throat> you know, Philly Parks and Rec, um, 
just a number of different groups, Fairmount Park Conservancy. We have a lot of really big, nice parks in Philly. We're lucky. Um, and um, I started volunteering with these groups and learning that there are good plants and bad plants. And I hadn't really um, developed a passion for plants until it was like until this time. And, and, um, and I realized like, you know, getting rid of invasives, planting native, planting native trees, like all of those things help combat so many environmental issues at once. And so it kind of clicked for me that this was what mm -hmm. I wanted to do. I wanted to, especially in my area and, you know, Pennsylvania historically was, was mostly forested. There were tons of trees. Pennsylvania literally means Penn's woods after William Penn. Um, but I, I really just fell in love with trees and, um, then more so with plants and, and just like, like I said, it just fights so many environmental issues at once with climate change. It helps, you know, store carbon with the uh, biodiversity crisis. It helps support wildlife. So when those things clicked, that's when I kind of got the ball rolling. Um, and I guess I've always had video making, um, hobbies or passion you know i was uh in middle school and high school i played a lot of video games and i had a youtube a gaming channel on youtube so i uploaded just g gameplay and me talking over it and i did that for like a decade and um so i guess my my video hobby just kind of transitioned into plants and educating and environmental education mm -hmm. and yeah it's been it's been great i'm really surprised at how um, well-received some of my videos have have been which is really good because it mm -hmm. shows people are interested in this stuff definitely yeah absolutely I mean I your page is so educational I think it's so great when people can get out there and give that information because like like you just said like you've always been interested in this you even went to school in like a relatively maybe like a cousin path of like what you're doing now and it still took until after that for it to click with you like all these the plethora of information that there is and like like you said like our generation is so lucky this information is at the tip of our fingers now but like there has been damage done already and so mm -hmm. reversing that and being able to help show people like you can remove this and we can plant this instead like that is so it's just such a worthy cause um yeah. can you talk a little bit about your nonprofit and the work that you do with that yeah sure so um like I said earlier, with in, with volunteering with these environmental groups in the Philly area, um, I kind of wanted to bring that same type of work to my hometown in the suburbs because um, there were no real, not really many groups doing that type of work in my area. So um, after I had learned a little bit more about how things work in my area, what plants are good, what plants are bad, um, I founded uh, a non profit in, in my area, focusing on planting and restoring native trees and um, also removing invasives and maintaining natural lands and educating as well. So um, that's what we kind of do. We, we focus on just a couple townships around where I grew up. And um, in the spring and fall, we do a lot of native tree planting and a lot of natural lands um, management and invasive removal. And we do maybe 25 to 30 volunteer events a year where we encourage the public and um, get a whole group of people to come out um, hundreds of volunteers a year. And we do a little bit of education, you know, showing them why we're getting rid of these plants and why we're planting these ones and 
um, I think it's it's been great, and a lot of people really I think enjoy helping helping um, do that kind of work. It, it's really fulfilling because at least for me, it it helps reduce my climate anxiety and you know biodiversity anxiety and all types of eco anxieties that there are. But um, I think that's why people like it so much because it makes them feel good. Yeah, definitely. I think that's like, that's definitely my favorite part of like being on Instagram and in that community is like, when people reach out and they're like, I'm a new gardener, or like, I'm just getting into this, like, how can I help? And just like, you just want to pull them in. You're like, God, let's, yes, do this. <laughs> like, get yeah. into it as much as you can. Like, I and know, it's, it's so absolutely so just incredibly rewarding. It's a great community having so many people like on Instagram so close, you know, having that knowledge, like you said, at your fingertips, like, I can learn about ecosystems in the Southeast from some, someone. And then like in British Columbia, there's a whole bunch of like, so it's just following different pages from all over and seeing what they, what good work they're doing. It definitely gives some hope. Absolutely. And what about, um, you posted another video recently that I thought was like incredibly interesting. It was like very, the science, um, and like the data behind it, you you guys were called out. So you work as an actual arborist as well. You guys were called out to inspect a tree and you use this incredible tool that looked like it was from outer space. <laughs> it was so <laughs> awesome. And you actually measured the strength. I think it's at 15 centimeters deep into the tree, created a graph and this like beautiful graphic I found that shows the strength of the tree. And you were able to educate, I think your customer about um, whether the tree was worth saving or not. And unfortunately it came that you couldn't save it, but, mm -hmm. um, can you tell me more about like what you do in that side of your work as well? And how to like, do customers reach out to you? Do tree companies reach out to you? Like, how do you utilize an arborist? Yeah, sure. So, so I guess in the Philly area and, um, in places where, uh, yeah, just places where a lot of people are, there's kind of a new field called urban forestry. And this is just dealing with trees and plants in the urban setting. Like, I mean, um, the Philadelphia area and the suburbs and like this whole southeastern Pennsylvania is pretty much like built out, like everything's developed. There's like not much open space left in most in a lot of places. Um, so we've altered the environment so much and we have trees growing next to houses and things like that. So there's a need for um, arborists who know how to work with trees, I guess, in urban um, urban areas. So, um, you know, if you go out into rural areas, you probably won't find an urban forester for obvious reasons or consulting arborists as, as we're called. So I don't do any climbing or any chainsaw work or anything like that. I just do like consulting, um, and, um, just like, ur yeah, urban forestry work like, like this we did in this video, but, um, so yeah, customers will reach out if they know, um, sometimes it unfortunately happens in, in our area a lot where they just call a tree company who's, you know, is looking to make a couple thousand from cutting down a tree and they'll say, Oh, the tree's bad. It's got to go. It's dead. It's dying on the inside. It's got 19 diseases. And then, um, but the good thing about having us or another consulting arborist come in is that we're not tied to any tree company. So, we're a non-biased opinion of the tree. We're going to give our full assessment and we're, we love trees, you know, so we want to see these things preserved if, if possible, but we're going to give you the best um, assessment that we can without swaying 
um, towards cutting it down to make money and, and whatever. But um, so, yeah, people reach out and they ask these types of questions like this. This is a, a really interesting example where they have a huge tree like that that has some clearly has some decay issues at the base. And we can do an assessment using like a really cool piece of technology. Um, but we, we've done all sorts of jobs from like cemeteries calling us and wanting, wanting a full tree inventory on their property, like wanting a map and a list of all the trees there and what shape they're in and how, you know, what species they should be replanting, what trees have to come down, things like that. So we, we do a lot of different, um, a lot of different offer a lot of different services and we work with a lot of different clients like construction companies and um, private homeowners and churches and schools so it's it's really interesting and there's always new clients and new people new people to work with and each of them view and value trees and nature in a different way so yeah i guess um they call us out we we do the job and we provide them with a report and they usually they usually listen to our suggestions or you know um go go with what we recommend but sometimes they sometimes they don't but yeah we do our job and um just hope that they um i guess listen to what we recommend <laughs> you can only hope <laughs> do you find that construction companies are contacting you guys to do the best jobs that they can to not lose like i mean that tree was gigantic and absolutely beautiful so it was really unfortunate to see that one come down um but do you find construction companies are becoming more willing to work with arborists and do hopefully what is the right thing for the trees in the area? Yeah. So, um, unfortunately not, not really. I think the only times we really work with, um, construction companies is when, when they're required to have an arborist involved. Like if we're, we do a lot of work at the university of Pennsylvania hmm. or Penn and their, their policy there is like any construction that involves, you know, that will could potentially impact trees nearby, you have to have us come out and, and like help preserve those trees. So it just like depends on the municipality or the, uh, the organization above, like some, some cities and some municipalities have really good tree ordinances that require an arborist to be involved for any project like this, or require trees to be replanted if they're cut down. And then other municipalities have really bad like they don't have any kind of requirement for tree um, preservation or, or tree replanting. So developers will just go in and just clear cut everything, even if they don't, even if it's not in their way, they just kind of clear the land. It's just what they're used to doing. Um, but yeah, usually when we work with construction crews, like the first meeting, they're like annoyed and like, you know, but I think over time they kind of learn that, this is a 55 year old, 60 year old tree that is really nice. It's healthy. Like this, this can't be replaced by planting two or three little trees. It like, these are valuable things that we have to protect if we can, you know, if, if there's a way to do the construction, you know, just instead of laying equipment down here, you move it over here. Like, um, it seems like a, a good compromise. Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting. Like we're down here in Florida and like, obviously like tons of people have moved here in the most recent years and we're close to farmland still, but we see them developing constantly and they do, they just go through and just clear cut 
like whole areas. I can't imagine living down here on like a few acres and all of a sudden across the street is just clear cut. Um, what like what ecological? I mean, there's obviously hundreds of ecological impacts. But like, what is the biggest one that you fear when they're going in and clear cutting areas like that? Yeah, I'm, my friend also lives in the Tampa area, and I've visited visited him two or three times now. And he, him, and his partner just bought a house um, in the last two years, and it was new development. Like it was, luckily or not, I don't know. I guess it was previously farmland so it had already been cleared at that point but still like just driving around seeing like so much new development it's crazy i guess i'm not used to that up here because everything's already <laughs> everything's already developed but i i think the biggest thing is just habitat loss and habitat fragmentation like there's there's ways i guess to develop while leaving good pieces of land intact I don't know too much about this, but I've seen like some good developments that leave a continuous connection to like wooded areas, like so wildlife can move through. Um, it's just it's just like around here when when I see new developments in like a county or two counties away from me, it's usually like clear cutting oak forests, which are like extremely valuable ecologically. And replacing them with like calorie pears and honey locusts and like it's yeah it's it's not good and like obviously most most developments will just mostly will, will be just turf grass so just losing all of all of that natural um habitat and then fragmenting natural spaces by putting a development in the middle um, those are the biggest the biggest things i guess yeah, it's definitely it's wild to see. It's very uh, I don't know. We're in a we're in an older neighborhood, so it's not too bad here. But even still, like the oak trees that are down here that like come down during storms and stuff are crazy. I've never seen anything like that. We had a a pretty bad hurricane last season, and it was wild to see the size trees that come down. And it's really sad. Also, um, there's like an area in the back of our neighborhood that like two or three uh, trees came down and damaged several houses. And they, a tree company just came in. And when I tell you, they cleared every single tree in their area. And it was like, so, it's genuinely so sad to see. It's like, we see like the hawks flying around and the birds and the butterflies. And like, all I can think of is like, well, what did we just do? Like, whose house did we just ruin? And like, yeah, I know that we see it that way as younger, gener like we keep saying, but our generation, like, it's funny you said middle school. Like, I remember for some reason, <laughs> one of my very first field trips was like, we went to the recycling center and I feel like our generation is just like, we don't know what's going on yet, but like the earth, <laughs> we definitely yeah. have to do something, but it's tough educating like older generations that that's just like, I don't know, the access to the information is like not there. So that's definitely a scary mm -hmm. part, but. I can appreciate like at least we're trying to do something like I, yeah. um is there where do you suggest people start like if you're a new homeowner like is there a great place to start and contact like is contacting an arbor something you should do when you step move in like just starting to plant like where do you hope people start when they when they get into this journey yeah i think um if you have trees on your property or near your house or hanging over your house i think contacting an arborist is always a good good idea ideally an arborist that's not affiliated with a tree cutting company mm -hmm. if you can find one but um yeah just getting an idea of how 
healthy your trees are, what kind of shape they're in, if they need to be pruned or whatever. Um, I think up here, a lot of people, I see it all the time in my area. Um, people are just afraid of big trees. And um, even if it's perfectly healthy, if it's, you know, leaning or, you know, has a branch coming toward the house, they just cut the whole thing down. Like they're just, you know, get it out of here. I don't want it falling on my house. Like, um, but there's, there's ways, you know, obviously in a bad enough storm, even the healthiest of trees will, will break and come down. But some trees around here have been like here for so long, a hundred plus years and have survived all sorts of crazy storms and hurricanes and tornadoes and stuff. Um, so I think people just have to, I think getting an arborist is a, is a great idea. Um, if you want to understand your trees better. Um, but as for like gardening or habitat restoration on your property, I think mm -hmm. volunteering is a, is a good way to go. Like if you have a, a, a local um, environmental conservation organization or a native plant society nearby and you want to learn about what plants do well in the garden and are deer resistant or whatever. Um, <laughs> this is Buffy. That was awesome. Hi, Buffy. <laughs> um, that was amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Get a microphone sniff in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, my yeah, God. I just think, um, yeah, I, I, in the Philly area, especially, there's so many organizations and groups that are focused on native plants or like local public gardens that use native plants only. Mm -hmm. um, these are all good places to look for or get a better idea or learn about like where to start on your property. Yeah, definitely. What, um, what do you have a lot of gardening going on yourself or do you have so much going on with work that you don't <laughs> bring it home? <laughs> yeah. So I definitely, um, I definitely garden at home and each year I still live, I still live at my, my parents' house and we have um, a good amount of lawn. So over the last, like I've, I've been learning about this for maybe four or five years and each year I ask for a little bit more lawn to take and I take out the lawn and put some native plants in. And I think my mom, my dad is fine. He's like, yeah, <laughs> do whatever you want. Like, but my mom is, the one who pushes back a little bit, but I think she's finally like catching on this year. She like really likes all the plant. Like it's, it looks the best this year out of any, any year. Cause we've been adding so many plants. Like there's always something in bloom. Like it, there's so many different colors when people drive by, we live on like a busy state road. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that drive by a lot of traffic. So I think it's a great opportunity to also show like that native plants can be pretty and there's mm -hmm. bees flying around. So, um, yeah, I, I am hoping to continue like covering my property with native plants if I can. Yeah. It's such a fun, um, I love that the premise is like that, the kill your lawn plant for pollinators, that kind of premise. And I absolutely love it. Our front yard, I'm like working diligently to rip all the grass out, which is so difficult sometimes, Yeah, but I do like, um, uh, it's almost not that it's like great that your mom pushes back a little bit, but I do think sometimes people can get um, the idea comes across that you have to remove like all of your lawn, like all of it has to be gone. And realistically, it like is those tiny increments that you go each year slowly working to do something just a yeah. little bit better, which is really like the goal for all planting and all gardening is like just doing something just a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think that's the best way to approach it, like just take a little bit at a time and 
add more the next year or whatever. Um, it's overwhelming to try to do it all at once, but, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, in the spring, I'm always like itching to do work and like ready to get out there. And I always like, you know, make a new garden bed in the spring or like rip up lawn in the spring. And then, um, by summer that like eagerness like fades away a little bit, but slows down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, definitely you get overwhelmed. And then yeah. you have like, tons of plants that you got to get in and, yeah, but um, yeah, I think I think a piece at a time is great. But yeah, definitely you don't have to get rid of all of the lawn. Like we leave a section open for my sister to play with her dog, like play fetch. Um, and we have just like a mowed path through the garden beds mm -hmm. and stuff. So, but it's so much yeah. fun. Yeah. Are there any projects that you're working on right now between like your nonprofit or anywhere else that you're volunteering that you're working on? Yeah. Um, my nonprofit plants out a lot of parks and just public parks and green spaces around our area that have been kind of neglected for so long or just not cared for in any way. Like the township mows the grass and that's it. And um, for decades, they've been mowing, you know, uh, my, my personal favorite projects, I think, are riparian restorations, like planting trees and plants along a stream to help improve the stream bank and to reduce erosion and restore wildlife. Um, so one of my favorite projects is a park right down the street. Um, and the township, as we've worked more with them over the years have gained like we've, they completely trust us and they pretty much just are happy that we're able to help them and, and plant trees. So they just kind of let us do whatever we want. <laughs> so we've planted <laughs> like, we've planted like 60 native trees along the stream here. And we are working on making like a no mow zone um, so that those roots can get deeper and hold that soil in place and reduce erosion a little bit. But um, yeah, we've planted a lot of trees in public parks and it's really cool just driving around my area and just like, I planted that tree or like, oh, that tree's looking great. Like it's cool to see all the different you know, spots that we've restored a little bit of native plants to. That's awesome. Do you, um, so like you said, that one's like in your hometown, it's an area that you drive by, um, that American Sycamore, like are projects like that, something that you drive by, you see them and you approach people like, Hey, can I help work on this? Or do you find it's usually people reaching out to you? Yeah. Um, so for the Sycamore video, that was near a big park in, in Philly. And I was just going for a hike there one day and I was like, that's a really bad infestation. I've never seen so much English ivy on one tree. So I like went home. I like looked if the tree was on the park property or on a private property right next door. And it just was on the border, but it was on the private property. So I like looked up who owned the house and I like Googled her, her name and found that she had a website because she it's like a pretty wealthy area. So um, I guess she I forget she has some kind of like website but um i emailed her just like randomly and said can i cut the english ivy off of your tree and like she was on the um she was on like the local board for the park like for like stewardship of the park so i'm like shouldn't you like get this cut off yourself like anyway but i reached <laughs> out and and she was like yeah sure how much do i owe you and i was like you don't have to pay me anything i just want to make a video about it and um it worked out the videos have done really well. And I think, um, a lot of people like 
know how to remove English ivy from a big tree now. That was crazy. I watched that video and I was like, what? First of all, those roots are the craziest thing I've ever seen. It was like caked on there. It was inches yeah. thick. That was nuts. Was it the was... bark underneath it damaged or was it actually healthy underneath? Yeah, so I was worried that like because the, the vines were so thick that um, like what happens is when the leaves of, of the sycamore end of the ivy fall off, they get caught in those crevices sometimes mm -hmm. and they can just break down and they'll turn into soil and that soil will hold like moisture against the trunk. Mm -hmm. And like over time, that moisture will rot the bark away. So I was really worried like at first that there was just no bark and that like if I cut this ivy off like there would be nothing underneath or like the tree would fall i got all sorts of crazy <laughs> fears but um i had my boss come out and take a look and he was like no this is fine just cut the vines and so um i did and it's yeah it's fine in some spots i think there's a little bit of bark decay but the bark um i think is it, it was towards the base and the bark is thicker there so i think i think the tree will be fine um, How is it looking now? You posted recently that it was doing well, all the vines were dying, but has the mm -hmm. sycamore actually put its own leaves back out yet? Yeah, the sycamore looks great now and the vines are dead, but the vines were so mature and old that they had they had a lot of their own branches coming mm -hmm. out of the vines. So like all up the tree, there's like just dead branches now that have no leaves on them. So it looks kind of bad, um, to be honest, like the home, but the homeowner, like if she has an issue with it, she can probably just have her landscapers or arborists like prune them up. But um, yeah, it, it looks kind of bad, like with the bare vine, but the tree looks fine. Um, and sycamores in my area have this like fungal issue every spring. Mm -hmm. And they struggle to leaf out. And like by midsummer, which is like around now, they look fine. Mm. Yeah. That is so fun. How, did it take you a long time to get through that? Yeah, it it took longer than I than I would have liked. But um, it always does. <laughs> no garden yeah. project just takes how long you think it's going to. <laughs> exactly. It takes like two times <laughs> mm -hmm. if you're lucky. But um, yeah, I didn't have a I don't own a chainsaw or I didn't at the time. So I was using a handsaw and loppers and it was like rough. But um, I think maybe I put like 12 hours into the tree total. But um, wow. it was a fun, interesting experience. I learned a lot from it. I don't know if I would do it again without being paid for it. But <laughs> That's fair. Uh, yeah, it was. But yeah, and the videos did really well. So the, mm -hmm. I guess the, the videos helped helped pay for it. But yeah. Um, yeah that was but like other other videos like most of my other videos that have done well in the past have been from job like clients that we that we went to and you know there's always like interesting tree situations from our clients so i'm lucky that i get to or that, that i was able to make videos about mm -hmm. them do you have any other like favorite crazy ones that have happened maybe recently or not even recently just other favorite uh tree identifying helping saving sorts of things yeah i'm trying to, i think um well we already we already talked about the resistance drill a little bit i think that was that was so cool, cool. i could not believe that. just this the process of putting those data points together to show the graph of where the weakness was in the tree was like 
what an incredible tool and way that humans can like interact with a tree because looking at that i mean i'm sure that you guys got there and there you were like this is probably a problem <laughs> but yeah having the actual visual information i feel like anybody could look at that and be like yep there's a problem right here mm -hmm. that is such a cool tool like oh my yeah. god that's the thing like a lot of people i got a lot of haters on on those videos that are like i could have told you that and i would <laughs> i wouldn't have charged anything you just take one look at the tree or like, um, but like for a tree like that, it, it has decay on the outside of the bark, but like there's no way to assess the internal strength without like drilling into the tree or they have um, an even more technologically advanced tool now where you like put electrodes around the whole bark and it like, it's called a, a tomograph and it, I think it uses sound. It like sends sound waves through the trunk and like if it you know if it's hollow it the sound waves moves quicker so they can like without having to drill into a tree which is like not ideal in some cases even though the drill is very tiny and the, mm -hmm. they've done studies and the trees are able to like seal off these wounds pretty quickly but still um um but yeah these tomographs can like generate these really cool images without having to like drill into the tree Wow. But yeah, there's no way to assess like we could have drilled into that tree and it could have been completely solid and it would have been fine to stay. But there's mm -hmm. no way of knowing without unless there's like an open cavity on the outside mm -hmm. and you can see in to the big hollow. But right. Yeah, that is so cool. The technology that he like we're on the brink, I think I try to stay on the like positive side of like you said, like there's so much anxiety that can be seen in it, especially like after having my daughter, I was like, oh, I'm like. I have to leave this place better for her. Like I've brought her here and now I have to do whatever I can as a person to leave her a better place. Um, and I try to stay on the positive side of that. And when you hear about awesome tools like that, that humans have designed and created and utilized, there is definitely some hope that we're like doing the right things, especially pages like yours. Like people would never have gotten the chance to know so much of the information that you put out there. And it's just like, thankful to the algorithm that it like came across hopefully some of the right people's pages like dude i yeah. almost bought english ivy ivy like very close before then and i was like oh <laughs> never mind <laughs> well yeah. don't put that outside <laughs> that's great to hear and yeah i do get a lot of i get a lot of messages too and I've, I've been able to help people like through messaging which is cool but also um i just like unfortunately this like access to this technology or to a consulting arborist or like to an arborist in general isn't um isn't it's not very accessible in a lot of places so um a lot of people are like how can i find an arborist that does this type of work near me and i don't really know how to answer that sometimes because um they don't really exist in a lot of places yet but um there is a way to, there's a website I, I like to send them to that will find an ISA certified arborist in their area. But yeah, I think like the technology thing is exciting for sure. And, and same with like a lot of the species that we've lost, like the American chestnut and, um, you know, other, other trees that are like, like really declining because of pathogens that we've brought in or introduced as, as humans. Um, like we're close to, that point where we can genetically modify our way back hopefully a little bit like the chestnut we've already made the genetically modified chestnut we just need approval to like release it and i'm hopeful that 
our technology and our ability to genetically modify things can help us solve some of these issues that we're causing for ourselves. But ultimately we have to learn like how to take better care and how to not mess things up so much. Yeah, really, Yeah. Could you, if you have more information, so I just read the, this book, it's called The Overstory, and they talk about the American chestnut. The book is nonfiction or is fiction, um, but that story is true about the American chestnut. And I can't believe that I grew up in New England and just didn't know anything about this. So if you have more details on that, would love to hear that. <laughs> Yeah, sure. So the American chestnut was like one of the most, um, one of the largest components of our forests in the eastern U.S., especially in the mid-Atlantic and the northeast. Um, it, in some spots, made up as much as 30% of the trees in the forest, and it was a huge part of Native American um, cultures and diets. They would actively maintain land um, for chestnut and oak production so that you know, it was a big staple food for them in a lot of the area. So it was an incredibly important plant for, for humans and for wildlife. And um, I think in the late 1800s, we started bringing over Chinese chestnuts and Japanese chestnuts. And on those plants that we were bringing over was a fungus that those plants were immune to because they evolved with it over time. But our American chestnut had not evolved with that fungus, so it was not immune to it. And by, um, you know, 1950, I think most of, or sooner, most of the American chestnuts in the wild were like completely wiped out. And there's like a very tiny percentage of trees that are like naturally resistant. And there's been breeding programs to find these trees and to breed them, but it takes a while. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's incredible that we've lost such a, an important part of our forests. Um, but it's exciting that we may be able to bring them back soon with um, hybridization or genetic modification. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's sad because like, it's not like a, a one-off case. Like this is, we're seeing this with like ash trees in the East. Like we brought over an invasive beetle that is wiping out like every ash tree in my area has died in the last 10 years, pretty much like all the mature ones, white and green ash. And um, so we're wiping out like we, we recently introduced a, a nematode that is killing American beech trees and there's oak wilt. So it's like every one of like every one of our native trees is like facing something that we've introduced. And I don't think a lot of folks understand the implications of that. And it's scary, but um, we just have to like keep hope um, and just do our best, I guess, to definitely doing the right thing. Yes. That's, I mean, that is just at the end of the day, you just have to keep hoping and keep like expressing how important this is to us as well like you talked about I, I didn't even think of it you were like uh your answer that you gave when I said like what do we do about stores in these invasive places like just one comment to the right store person or the right like employee can really make a huge difference and like just one person that you can connect with and tell them the story or like whatever it is can really make a huge difference which is incredible um yeah. you talked about your path in college your PhD program 
and pivoting, did you go through any more education to get to where you are now? Or was it mostly self-taught and just getting involved and actually getting your hands dirty? Yeah, I did most of my learning um, by volunteering, I think. But um, I started at around the same time using an app called iNaturalist, mm-hmm. um, which is like just a an app you can download on your phone. You can take pictures of plants and bugs and birds that you see or come across or fungi, and you can upload them to iNaturalist. And it's really a popular website. And um, the more that people upload to, the better their computer algorithms get. So they can like identify what plant you're looking at or identify what bug. It's incredible. And um, so I started using that a lot when I was hiking and just out in nature and that's how I learned how to identify most of the plants and like learned how to identify invasive ones and um, was just able to like Google those plants from there and read about them. So I did a lot of learning like that on my own, but I think the volunteering was, was the most, um, was the best because it's just like learning from experts Mm -hmm. who have been doing this for a while and do it professionally. Absolutely. What um was the volunteering just like going and planting mostly or like what kind of like work was that involving? Yeah. So um, in in Philly or in the Philly area, that's mainly what um, the volunteering efforts are focused on is invasive removal and native tree planting. Um, again, like our area historically was mostly wooded. So um, our efforts were focused on restoring trees but like if you were to volunteer down south where grasslands historically were more prevalent or um, savannas where there aren't as many trees you may be focused on cutting down um, trees to you know to free up you know to restore the grasslands that was historically there before we started suppressing fire or you know if we yeah all sorts of different um, there's all sorts of different strategies depending on where you live but um, mainly, yeah, here it was just tree planting and um, invasive removal. Mm-hmm. That's so fun. Do you do you remember the moment that I mean, you talked about like when it clicked for you that this is like what you should be doing. But do you remember the moment that you were like, this is like, this is a, I have to go and like really pursue this? Like, what was that like on like a, maybe an emotional level of like realizing that this was your calling or something that you needed to stick with? Yeah, it was it was tough because I was in graduate school and pursuing something that I guess I wasn't super passionate about or as passionate as I thought I was. Um, so I would, I made that realization when I was in graduate school and, um, you know, PhD program, you're supposed to be there for five or six years at least to get your PhD. But, um, I decided to stick it out for two years and leave with my master's degree, Mm -hmm. but still that process of, like navigating graduate school and having to tell my um, advisor that I was leaving and like, am I making the right decision? Like, is this too risky? Like all sorts of, that was a tough time for sure. Mm -hmm. But um, it panned out. I think I'm much, I'm definitely, this is definitely the right path Mm -hmm. for me, but it just goes to show, like you said, um, you know, it's never too late to kind of like make a switch or if you if you feel, you know, passion, passionate about something, try to pursue it if you can. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's fantastic. Um, I have some my little quick fire questions. If you're interested, I'm ready to maybe mess around with those. Yeah. 
they're not too serious, but just whatever comes to mind. Um, my first one that I love to ask, and maybe yours can be trees or plant related. Um, what is your recommendation? I'm sure this is maybe area specific for you, but what is your like, you have to grow this your first time gardening slash growing a tree? Like what is your, you got to grow this plant? Yeah, I think it's um, just the common sunflower, like the sunflowers that you can buy in like any store because um, it's, I think it's native to like the Southwest US, but it grows like anywhere. You can like grow it anywhere and it's super easy to grow. Um, and it was the first plant that I grew from seed. Um, just a, uh, I think it's a mammoth sunflower, mm -hmm. they call it, the ones that get really tall. So I planted just a couple of those and it was really cool because they grow quick, they're easy to grow, and then you can see it flower, collect the seeds, eat the seeds, save them for next year. You can do a whole lot. So I think um, growing sunflowers is a fun way to get into gardening. Absolutely. And that's my recommendation too. I always say sunflowers. They're such a, the reward is just so huge. Like, I don't know, you walk out your door and you're like, look at this thing, this giant sunflower. Are you joking? It grows <laughs> like, good? you can like watch it grow. It grows so quick. And... Dude, day by day, you're like, wait, there's another leaf. Are you joking right now? <laughs> They're so yeah. crazy. Absolutely. Those are beautiful. Do you have a favorite, I would say plant and your favorite tree of all time? Yeah. So my favorite tree um, usually like asking an arborist for their favorite tree is a tough question, but, um, <laughs> my favorite tree has been the white oak Quercus Alba for a couple years now, I think. And I think it's, it's here to stay for a while. Um, <laughs> it, there's just like, I think it, you know, it has such a wide native range. I think it even grows in the Florida panhandle, but not so much down South, but, um, it grows like all over the Eastern U S so it's a huge native range and it's incredible for wildlife. And in my area, there's no tree that beats like a mature old white oak with widespreading and really gorgeous tree overall. So that's my favorite tree. But um, my favorite non-tree plant, I don't know. That's a tough question. <laughs> I think going into this year, it was butterfly milkweed. I loved mm -hmm. butterfly milkweed. I planted like, planted so many of them at my house, but I didn't get like any pollinators on them this spring for some reason. It's weird. And then they just get attacked with these little invasive orange aphids. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I I love the plant still, but like, I'm like, I don't, maybe it's not the right one for me, but I'll have to think about um, my, my favorite plant otherwise. Absolutely. Uh, who is your garden or maybe tree arch nemesis? Who are you always battling with? Who do you find and you're like, I, oh my God, <laughs> I swear. <laughs> you can take your time. It's an yeah. important question. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, it's not one particular person, but it's the tree crews in my area. The, mm. Those arborists who are always saying, no, that tree's unhealthy. It has to come down because they're, ultimately in it for the money, I guess you, I guess you can't blame them, but to a, to a lay person or to a homeowner who may not know anything about trees. Um, I think it's a little unfair to like lie to them or to stretch the truth about the health of the tree to, to have it to cut down. Definitely. But, um, yeah, I think, um, those, those people and the people who like, I have a neighbor who, who's cut down just about every one of his trees on his property and has just every time he cuts it down, he gets the stump ground out and then he 
levels it out and puts some grass seed on and it's just like slowly it's just becoming a giant lawn i looked on google maps like from 10 years ago and it was like a nice forest he had like walnuts and oaks and like his whole front lawn and now it's just like there's like two trees left so i'm just like waiting for those to go too <laughs> dude why are you doing this to me he's just fueling yeah. your passion he's fueling your fire to continue like, your yeah, work yeah <laughs> I, I planted like five trees down the street but like they they cancel it out now because you oh my like, god uh, <laughs> that is too no, funny but... uh, do you have like a disease that you run into with trees that you just like are like oh this is bad like anything like that in particular or even a uh, insect also maybe that you're just like oof you're the worst yeah well being in, in philly i don't know if you've heard of the spotted lanternfly i've heard, heard of it before? but i don't know too much about it yeah the we're in like ground zero for the spotted lanternfly. Um, it's been here for like seven years now, and it, it doesn't do as much damage as we thought, which is good. It's not killing trees, which is good, but it does a lot of damage to like grapevines, which has implications for the wine industry and stuff. So it's certainly not a good insect. Um, but I mentioned the emerald ash borer. That's, mm -hmm. that's actually killing hundreds of millions of ash trees across the eastern U.S., um, but one disease that is relatively new and it's making its way to the Philly area that I'm really kind of scared about is um, beech leaf disease, which I mentioned is killing mm -hmm. American beech trees. Um, and it's a, a little nematode that goes into the leaf bud and it like does its damage before the leaf leaves out. And then by like midsummer, the leaf kind of curls up and dies. And they're finding that like mature trees can die within like five years and it's just like another thing we have to worry about and um oak wilt i guess is another one luckily mm -hmm. it hasn't reached our area yet but it's killing oak native oak trees and um yeah i just am worried for the day that oak wilt reaches us and beech leaf disease reaches us and we're not going to have anything left but invasive trees i feel like mm. what do you how to like how can you help stop those things like what is the what is the answer how do you get them to can you really stop the like spread is there anything we can do yeah i i don't think there's really much we can do i mean with with oak wilt the best thing to do is to not move firewood long distances that's how they think it's been spreading um because infected wood you know, firewood brought across state lines or like brought hundreds of miles away or whatever um, infects new trees and stuff. There are ways to slow oak wilt, but with beech leaf disease, scientists aren't really even sure how it's spreading. They think like the nematodes are spreading during storms or like during wind events. So it's weird or, or by birds, like the, it like pops up in different spots in the mid Atlantic and it's been spreading quickly from there, but like they're not sure how it's spreading. And this is like a new, like a relatively new disease within the last decade. So another thing is um, research, scientific research into trees and their diseases is so underfunded and not really like no one wants to be, no one like grows up wanting to be a tree researcher. Like it's not a very glorious field i guess but it's so necessary especially with all these diseases and pathogens and stuff mm -hmm. i bet this next i have a lot of faith probably because it's my kid but <laughs> i have a lot of faith in this next generation i'm like they are gonna figure this shit out i promise i hope so i <laughs> i think I they think... 
Yeah, I think we have to. Like, there's no choice. Like, you have to figure it out, or it's gonna be bad. Or like the end. Like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> scary to think about, but it's true. Like, there really is. I don't know. I I was actually really grateful during the pandemic, watching so many people fill their houses with plants. I personally am not actually a houseplant person. I they're outside because I'm in Florida. Why would I have them in my house? But yeah. I was so grateful to watch so many people like grasp onto this green space. And I was like, this will translate. And you're going to look around and see so many things. And it's going to really open up your eyes. So I do. I have a lot of faith. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I do, too. Um, just seeing like with climate protests and like the amount of young people there and stuff it's it's definitely a good good sign mm -hmm, absolutely um so you're actually no this one still works if you could design or describe your garden style in one word what would it be <laughs> um hmm. maybe it would be crowded oh right this is an interesting <laughs> i like so, that <laughs> Um, I guess before, like, before I knew much about how to design gardens, I was just kind of throwing all these native plants in close to each other in like a tiny space, which is, which is, I guess, fine. Like it's, it's working okay for now. Some plants are like some, some of the more aggressive spreaders are like out competing the other ones and mm -hmm. I just move them or something. But the right way, the right way to do it, I guess, is like planting in clusters, like five or six of the same plant here mm -hmm. then plant a different one here but like mine is just crowded and like mixed together and like all sorts of stuff but like i said right now i i guess it seems to be it seems to be doing well but maybe in five years it might not might not be the case <laughs> we'll see we'll, we'll see when we get there it's all good <laughs> yeah you learn as you go that's that's the big thing about gardening absolutely um this one is a fill in the blank um, when I'm gardening, I feel blank. Hmm. Um, overwhelmed. No, um, <laughs> I think no, that's every gardener. <laughs> that is such a legit answer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's honestly true. A lot of the times, like when I'm out there gardening, there's just like, I just like look over there. I'm like, oh, I have to do that. And then I go over there and do that. I'm like, oh, I have to do that. And I like, just go over there. So it is a little overwhelming, but in a good way, I guess, like it's fulfilling work and it's, it makes you feel good and you're outside and you're moving and it's like a little, yeah, it's like meditation mm -hmm. in some form. So I guess overwhelming is a good word, but in a good way. <laughs> I love that. That's a great answer. Um, and then my last question for you, a little bit of maybe some manifesting for you. Where would you like to see yourself in five years with the work that you're doing with your nonprofit or just yourself in the green space? Yeah. Um, I guess I want to be doing a bit more traveling and seeing, seeing more of the world's plants and trees and being able to share those on social media. Like one of, one of the things I, I guess, dream of is like traveling to really interesting trees or trees with unique stories or like old trees or something like all over the country and making videos about the most interesting trees. Um, I think that would be a cool place to be in five years, just like traveling around a little bit. Um, 
and I guess with, with my nonprofit, I just want to continue, um, continue doing bigger projects, I guess, and continue to educate the people in my area and hopefully start seeing more oak trees in front yards instead of Japanese maples and like calorie pears and stuff. Um, <laughs> so maybe I can help bring that change to my local area and maybe beyond. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I learned so much from you. I'm glad we finally got to actually chat. I love yeah, making internet you. friends. I think it is like the best thing in the world. It's also really nice to have like a conversation that you don't like type back over the course of like seven days. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you so much. It, it was been great chatting with you too. Yeah, fantastic. It's awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. We will catch you guys next time. This is the Trellis Podcast. Bye. See you later. <laughs>